0: Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. As many of you may have heard from previous shows, I've grown up across two cultures, namely India and the US. And I'm fascinated by the similarities and the differences I experience in both places. Traveling to India annually, I've engaged in numerous conversations with friends and relatives about mental health concerns that either they experience in their families or see in society as a whole. As a licensed mental health therapist working in the US, I'm curious to understand how the mental health service system works in India, so I've invited a neuropsychologist from India to have that conversation with me. Shraddha Shah founded Synapsium Brain Health Clinic to provide superior clinical, psychological, and neuropsychological services to adults and the elderly in 2013. The Classroom, a Synapsium initiative, was introduced, introduced in 2018 to address the need for creating awareness and negating mental health stigma in the community in India. Shredha completed her bachelor's in neuroscience in New York and then pursued a master's degree in psychology in Mumbai. And she continued her training in neuropsychology at KM Hospital in Mumbai and is currently a PhD scholar conducting research in the area of positive neuropsychology. She's also a consultant at Sari HN Reliance Hospital and Lok Hospital, also in Mumbai. She enjoys teaching neurocognition to master students at the SNDT University. Thank you so much for joining me on Perspectives today, Shadda. Thank you so much for
2: having me.
1: <laughs> so I'm really excited about being able to talk to you about um, mental health services in India, because um, growing up, in India and spending time there, it was never something we talked about. It was always, um, if somebody had some sort of challenges, it was always kept within the family. Nobody would discuss it outside. Everyone wanted to solve the problem in the home. Um, What are your thoughts about that?
2: Right. So, you know, um, I believe that uh, the stigma is uh, still very significant. We definitely face it from time to time. However, the situation is very rapidly changing. So in the metros, but as well as the tier one, tier two cities. So even the smaller cities um, with completely different socioeconomic backgrounds than the metros, um, the situation is changing. In fact, some reports from the recent few years actually go on to show that there is a, up to an 80% increase in the appointments made with psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists. And it's a refreshing change. Even, um, even conversations socially mm-hmm. are starting to get more geared towards mental health and mental illness. So at a dinner party, I'd get asked very directly about, oh, you know, I've been suffering from this, this, this. Uh, should I come see you? So that's uh, quite a um, pleasure, I
1: think. Well, that's actually wonderful to hear. Um, Now, you mentioned tier one and tier two cities. So, for listeners who don't live in in India, what what do you mean by tier one and tier two cities?
2: Uh, Those are the smaller cities. So, uh, the metros would be Delhi, Bombay, uh, Bangalore, Calcutta. Those are probably the cities people have heard of. And then these would be the smaller cities like. Ranchi and Kanpur, um, Patna, places that people haven't really heard of much. So much smaller cities, much smaller populations and uh, financially and education wise people wouldn't be as uh, sort of uh, established uh, as uh, the metros, the population from the metros.
1: And do you have an idea of what has caused that shift
2: Right. So I I think um, overall, I believe it's a two-part. One is a bit more positive and the second I think is negative. One is that people, I think, have recognized that the traditional methods of getting uh, tr- uh, tantrics involved and thinking uh, mental health issues are black magic, um, get, uh, getting a religious guru involved. I think these approaches have started to fail and in general people go much quicker or reach a doctor much quicker than what used to happen a couple of decades ago. So within the medical facility um, or within the medical faculty, um, psychiatry has started getting a bit more attention. That's one. And uh, the second is, which is a bit more positive is that we've had a couple of, very, very famous celebrities come forward about their struggles. And um, I think that really helped make a difference. So a few years ago, um, a leading uh, actress in Bollywood came forward with her condition of uh, uh, very severe anxiety, panic attacks, as well as uh, depression. And that really helped.
1: And did she seek... Uh, help in India or did she seek it outside of India at that time?
2: No, she sought help in India and she actually went on to create a foundation um, to help spread awareness about mental health.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about that? Do you, ha- do you have information?
2: Yes, so uh, the actress is Deepika Padukone and um, her uh, foundation is called the Live, Laugh, Love Foundation. And um, so it's based out of Bangalore. And uh, I believe the founders are herself and her psychiatrist. And I think her psychologist is also involved. And it's a very well informed foundation. It's very uh, holistic, the view that it has.
1: And is it for people to come there and stay there to be treated, or is it just.
2: No, no, no. No, it's a foundation that um, I think uh, is more about creating awareness. Through various media,
1: that's wonderful. It's a uh, long overdue, so that's that's wonderful. <laughs> and so, tell me, how about you? What? How did you choose to go into this field?
2: <laughs> so, um, I think uh, there's two things. One is that I was always interested in um, studying the why of why people behave a certain way. And why do certain things happen to certain people? Um, And so actually my bachelor's was in neuroscience and it was more about uh, the anatomy of the brain. And somewhere along the way I ended up uh, because it was a liberal arts education. I took psych 101 and that was really interesting. And then I moved back to India and, um, I went on to actually do a degree in clinical psychology, and uh, then I got trained in neuropsychology, which really seemed to be the middle ground between both. Uh Because otherwise, psychology in India is brainless, and neurology is mindless. So um, there's a interesting definite between the two fields. So um, in my clinic, we actually offer neuropsychotherapy and we look at the conditions the pathologies as well as the interventions from a neurological lens or the lens of neuroscience and um i definitely believe that the training that i had in psychotherapy lacked this somewhere so the biopsychosocial model we really work with that model in mind and um I've definitely had some personal experience with uh-huh. um, mental health issues in my family. And uh, that, I believe, was maybe the initial pull towards uh, psychology. I think a lot of us have uh, similar, uh, I think, sort of drives toward it.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think um, you're absolutely right. I think everyone has had either themselves or somebody close to them, has had some emotional challenges, I think that's part of life and I think it's um it's just refreshing to hear that rather than brush it under the rug or try and solve it within the family that people are becoming more open around the world um, to actually going to outside- to an outsider to to help them um, You talked about mindless and brainless in the two different fields. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how you see that in Uh, each field?
2: Yes. Um, So, you know, the education of... uh, We have to go back to the education and the training of psychologists for this. So psychology in India is um, classified under the humanities. So... um, after the 10th grade, the students who choose psychology have had no experience, no training, no education in biology or chemistry. So wow, <laughs> their, yeah, their education stops at the 10th grade level in any of these sort of physical sciences. And they go on to study various um, aspects and various uh, fields of psychology. So um, psychology, they cover pretty much in depth but there is no biology at all. So the students that I teach who are, part, uh, who are a part of the master's program mm-hmm. they find it extremely intimidating to get back in touch with anatomy or brain chemistry. Okay. So that, uh, that's what I mean. And these people go on to actually practice in the field of psychology. So what ends up happening uh, is that if somebody comes in with seizures they would get classified very easily as hysteria okay and a lot of issues get missed because there's been no education in the neurological illnesses and there isn't an understanding specifically of the organ of the brain okay Uh, on the other side of things so I work a lot. Uh, I work actually more closely with neurologists and neurosurgeons. Mm-hmm. So for neurosurgeons, the quality of life and uh, what they call the softer side of things mm-hmm. doesn't really feature.
1: Okay. As well
2: as for neurologists, they don't, um, unless they're trained in cognitive neurology, they wouldn't look at cognition or the emotional function or the impact of certain illnesses on the family and very often chronic neurological illnesses um, are what we call family illnesses. And there's a huge psychosocial impact and there's a lot of caregiver burden which require a psychologist to be involved.
1: Right. So the family illnesses, what are some examples of that that you would classify as family illnesses?
2: So any um, form of a severe acquired brain injury. Okay. be a traumatic brain injury or a stroke or degenerative illnesses like dementia, these tend to uh, spill over onto the immediate family.
1: Absolutely. And they require a lot of care. So that's that's actually fascinating to me because um, in the U.S., even though we have the, the same divide, there is a lot more overlap. And I think that might have to do with how the subjects are taught from the undergraduate level and the graduate level, um, and so it's it's interesting, so you're actually providing a bridge in the work that you do between the two sides, which seems like an essential component um, yeah. to move the move the culture forward
2: <laughs> that's that's the hope and that's the idea yeah.
1: so um how did you end up deciding to go to the U.S. to do your undergraduate? Because that's where you went, correct?
2: Yes, I did. Um, well, I think it was um, not sure. It was very. Uh, it was an organic decision. Um, I feel like the education over here is limiting in several ways, and I had done the IB program. Uh-huh. So international baccalaureate and i feel the next step was just automatically going to be uh, studying abroad and the u.s seemed to be the best fit
1: so and
2: it great
1: okay and did you have family in the u.s or did you go on your own
2: <laughs> yes actually i did my sister lived in new york city at the time and i studied in upstate new york so i think maybe that had something to do with it <laughs>
1: And what was your experience like, was it? Um, what was the, I would say, what was the most shocking or the what you, what you didn't anticipate, if there was some one thing or several?
2: I did not anticipate eight months of snow. <laughs> Out of 12, that was uh, extremely mm. shocking. And um, I studied in a really small village, so the population of the entire town was 10,000 people. And I come from a city of 17 million. So that was a, a huge culture shock.
1: <laughs> wow. So we're going to go to a short commercial break. So please stay tuned. We're talking to Shraddha Shah about mental health services in India and her experiences. If you have questions, you can email me, Dr. Vidisha Patel at drv for kids at yahoo.com and we will be right back to Perspectives.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game dr rebecca risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on falling through the cracks live every monday at 9 a.m pacific time 12 noon eastern time on voice america health and wellness step into a healthier you voice america health and wellness you are tuned into perspectives with dr vadisha patel if you would like to reach the show today Please call into one 866 472 5792 That's one 866 472 5792 You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at Drv4Kids at Yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives.
1: Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm in conversation with Shraddha, Shah, neuropsychologist and PhD scholar in the area of positive neuropsychology. So, Shraddha, you had told me that you have started this um, institute or uh, consultation service in in Mumbai. So, I'm wondering, can you share with our listeners what it is that you started and how you how you came about starting it and all of those details.
2: <laughs> yes, definitely. So this was um, right after my training in neuropsychology um, was completed. And um, I was extremely nervous about starting out on my own, establishing a private practice. Uh, it's very difficult, especially uh, in a field that isn't that well-known. And uh, is difficult to be accepted even by uh, doctors and the medical community, as well as by the social community. So it started off initially with me working in a small back room of a dentist. And um, I'm
1: actually going to interrupt you right there because you said something interesting and I want to make sure that we address it, which is that it's difficult to start out in private practice and to be accepted by the medical community. Why is why is that?
2: Well, uh, the two areas that I work with are neurology and psychiatry.
1: Right.
2: So um, I'm going to take each one separately. With uh, neurologists, unless uh, they are interested in knowing more about cognition and emotional um, functioning of people, Uh they're not going to um, look at the role of a neuropsychologist. Even now, actually, these many years later, I'm still pretty much stuck doing only assessments, whereas my interest area is rehabilitation. Okay. I've worked very closely with several stroke patients, TBI patients, but those referrals are very hard to come by. So the recognition and the value of quality of life I think, in general, is much lower in the medical community over here, which again goes back to their training and education. Right. So that's one thing. And second is the fact that they don't uh, feel that the psychologists are well qualified and um, not always actually reliable in their assessments or um, understanding of neurological issues. And since we don't have a degree available for neuropsychology in India, Uh it gets challenging. Sure, sure. So So even though you were educated
1: in the US, did that help or did that help you at all? Or in gaining um, respect from the medical community?
2: A hundred percent. Okay. so it's, uh, it's definitely the fact that I was educated in the U.S., but it's also the fact that it's a degree in neuroscience. Okay. So I believe that if it was a psychology degree, I don't think it would have helped as much as the fact that it's a neuroscience degree. It okay. helped my understanding of a field like neuropsychology.
1: Okay. So sorry to interrupt you. So carry, so go on. <laughs>
2: um. So as I was saying, yes. So setting up the practice was difficult, and initially it started off just with me. And um, I used to see a lot more um, psychiatric patients. Okay. Uh, and it was mostly assessments, and then some psychotherapy. I have always been more interested in the diagnostics, and over a period of time, I had to start actually going and speaking individually to neurologists, um, CMEs at hospitals, which is the continued medical education. Right. In fact, getting them to invite me to speak was such a challenge, but I had to go in and actually educate the medical community about the work that a neuropsychologist can do very specifically for specific pathologies and illnesses. Okay. it, it took me some time to actually um, get involved with what I'm currently doing. At one of the hospitals, I'm involved in uh, the dementia assessment. Uh-huh. There's a memory clinic, which I work in.
1: Okay.
2: I also work in the rehabilitation department. And these two came much, much later. What started early on was pre-surgical evaluations for deep brain stimulation Surgery for Parkinson's patients. Okay, but you know, if you have noticed, it's pretty much all assessment focused. Right. Um, the long-term care and uh, continued sort of uh, interventions for patients is very limited. Um, that that role is not uh, being accepted as much, not as yet. Um, within the. Uh, psychology uh, arena and the clinical psychology patients, I think it's been much easier actually because um, the refers aren't only limited uh, to doctors. Okay. It's now started. So, I mean, for the last now couple of years or maybe a little bit more than that, there's a lot of word of mouth right. and uh, people have now been referring friends and family so the team actually started growing in uh, a couple of years after I started working. And uh, more and more people, because I also teach neurocognition, uh-huh. I think a lot more people started getting interested in this um, specialized field, I would call it, of psychology. And um, so a lot of students approached me for internships, which then turned into employment and um, so right now actually the, the clinic has uh, seven of us who wow. are uh, as uh, either clinicians or um, even uh, people who focus on awareness building for the community because we recognize that education is at the core of what we do, whether it's educating the community educating the medical professionals or educating the patient and the family. So So what
1: kinds of things do you do for the awareness building? Those people who work for you, what types of things do you have?
2: So um, we do lectures at uh, colleges. We do lectures at hospitals. We do awareness talks at uh, associations like the Rotary or Lions Clubs. We also uh, do um, a lot of actually, so we use mindfulness a lot Uh in our work. So we've done mindfulness camps uh, and all of these are actually pro bono work. Um, And um, we actually use social media a lot. So recognize that the demographic that, attracts the talks and the lectures is very different from the demographic that social media can address. Right. And so we use Facebook, we use Instagram, we use YouTube and we create our own content. So we try to make it lighter and we try to make it um, less intimidating and demystify uh, psychology and brain health. The other thing that we actually do is um, we started doing this last year. We um, also, when we go to a lot of uh, NGOs and you know, so Alzheimer's patients, we would address their families through Alzheimer's society. But going back to what I was telling you, so last year we actually started a fun fair, a weekend carnival, uh-huh. with, which is completely mental health and brain health themed. So that attracted a lot of the general public to come in and see the kind of work and recognize what psychology and brain health is. There is this general understanding, unfortunately, uh, where people feel that uh, mental health is the same as mental illness. So getting people to recognize that mental health is completely different, that was one of the aims.
1: So you did that at your office space or you did that?
2: Yes, at the office space. We, Like I said, it's all pro bono, so we have to cut costs wherever possible.
1: And you had a good turnout for that fair? It sounds like a wonderful idea.
2: Yes, we had about 120 to 150 people come out. It was, it was pretty good. I mean, the space is limited, but uh, it was fun. We had four different stalls that's, different aspects.
1: that's amazing. That sounds I mean, you've in a few short years, you have accomplished quite a bit. Um, and it sounds like you've made inroads at different levels. So you, you talked a lot about the um, sort of the older population with the dementia and the, the brain health. Do you the fun fair seems like it would attract Younger people, is that was that the intention, or is that what happened, or how did that work?
2: We had people come in from the age of six all the way to seventy three. <laughs> so, um, no, you know, actually we had a very good mix of people coming. Uh, in fact, uh, the clinic doesn't cater to children, or okay. to clients. We only work with uh, adults and the geriatric population. And um, we specialize in geriatric services, actually. The majority of the patients, uh, sorry, the people who attended the fun fair were much older.
1: Okay. And are you in the center of Mumbai or where are you? Are you out more in the suburbs or where are you located?
2: Right. We're based in South Bombay. Okay. which is what we would call downtown uh, Bombay. Yes.
1: So it's easier access for, for, your, for your patients who come, come there?
2: Yes, yes. We uh, work mostly with people who live around here. But we do get patients coming from uh, outside the city, outside the state. Even people from outside the country come for uh, rehabilitation services mostly.
1: Wow. And so the other thought uh, that has been running through my mind is that Mumbai is like New York City in comparison, if you're trying to put it into context for people who may not have been to India, Um, except that there are multiple languages spoken. (laughs) So what is your population mostly English speaking or... um, Marathi or Gujarati or what do you find?
2: Yes, so actually, I would say that maybe fifty uh, percent of the population is English speaking, okay. and the rest of the fifty percent would be the um, Gujarati, Hindi, Marathi speakers.
1: So you have, so your clinicians can um, can provide the therapy, and they've been trained so they can provide in multiple languages. Is that?
2: Yes, absolutely. That's, I think, one of the advantages of being here to have to speak at least in three languages. So, and, and a lot of our training actually puts us in um, government hospitals okay. where we're forced to speak these languages right. and get better at them. So,
1: yeah. Because that's, that's challenging. It's one thing to speak multiple languages, but to actually conduct business. <laughs> And use professional terminology um, in multiple t- languages is a, is a totally different level of fluency.
2: <laughs> yes, we've had to uh, learn words for brain chemistry, and uh, <laughs> yeah, really explaining a lot of that is, has been difficult, but it gets easier.
1: <laughs> so tell me, um, you, you've said a little bit about how you focus on the elderly, but uh, what are the types of issues that you come across
2: um so let me i'm going to divide that between neuropsychology and psychology sure and um within neuropsychology we see mostly dementia clients so they would come in uh for uh family counseling or assessments and diagnosing the type of dementia um We work with uh, stroke, which would be post-stroke neuropsychological rehabilitation. Okay. Uh, Same thing with traumatic brain injury as well. And Parkinson's and the rest of the movement disorders is more pre-surgical work and again, assessments for that. So
1: what is the pre-surgical work for Parkinson's? What type of thing is that?
2: Right. So it's actually a little bit of an eligibility um, assessment, and very different from epilepsy-free surgical work, which is more about lateralizing and localizing the epileptogenic zone. So um, within Parkinson's, it's more about ruling out depression or psychosis so that the post-surgical outcomes are better.
1: Uh, okay. So it's um, it's to aid the surgeon in their process? Is that...
2: Yes, uh, probably more the neurologist than the surgeon. Okay. Both.
1: Okay. So before you continue, I'm going to stop there for a minute because we have to head for another short commercial break. So don't go away. We'll be right back to talk some more about mental health services as provided by Shraddha Shah and her team and what it looks like in India and how it might be similar or different to the West. So hold on and we'll be right back
0: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness
3: frankly speaking about cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are.
0: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into... Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into one 866 472 5792 That's one 866 472 5792 You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv V4Kids at Yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives.
1: Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch with me via email at drv4kids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. I welcome anything you would have to share with me. I'm here with Shraddha Shah, neuropsychologist and researcher in the field of positive neuropsychology. So before the break, we were so we started talking about the types of issues that uh, you come across in your work. So I'll let you carry on. <laughs>
2: okay. So, uh, thank you. I, um, I was telling you the types of illnesses and conditions that we work with uh, within neuropsychology. And um, it's mostly assessments or rehabilitation. And within psychology, we... Uh, we get a lot of clients for, again, assessments, but mm-hmm. mostly actually uh, the psychotherapy. So we do couples and marital counseling, and there's a lot of relationship issues that we see. Um, we deal with um, stress management mm-hmm. and burnout. Uh, so occupational burnout is something that we're seeing across. So lawyers, bankers. Um, You name the field, and we're seeing a lot more of it. Um, Actually, we've also started seeing a lot more of complex trauma and um, abuse. And uh, so anxiety and depression are at an all-time high. All of the stats will tell you that. But anxiety and depression, so we are sort of viewing the anxiety and the depression as the comorbidities. And the results of the issues that we see.
1: So, I'd like to actually ask you about the um, the trauma, the complex trauma. What kinds of trauma are you seeing aside from the brain injuries?
2: Right. So, uh, no, the complex trauma. I meant more uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. So, um, what I'm talking about is traumatic experiences related to abuse. So that could be emotional neglect, uh, physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse, beginning in childhood and then continuing in different forms as uh, people get into adulthood. And since we work with adults, we actually see a really compounded sort of form of the trauma And it goes unnoticed for several, several years, several decades sometimes. And it comes out in different forms.
1: Right. Now, that's something that's really interesting to me because I do a lot of work with that kind of trauma in the U.S. And I find even in the U.S., which is much more open to mental health services and looking for assistance, that there is a lot of shame and guilt around it so people don't come forward to seek out help. Um, and I'm interested to hear if you have any idea of what's prompted people to be able to finally come into your, your clinic to talk about it.
2: Right. Um, so, you know, I feel it's a little uh, counterintuitive. People aren't coming in with the chief complaint of abuse. Okay. They come in with uh, unrelated, as they would feel, unrelated issues. Okay. So it could be a failing relationship or it could be lack of productivity at work. It could be uh, panic attacks. Right. It could be depression. And then actually, as we um, investigate further, it's very often... The picture that turns out uh, that it turns out to be is complex trauma, and that fixed the diagnosis. Um, and the
1: then, and then when you uncover that, do you find that the the patient still stays because there's also this tendency for people to sort of not show up for the next appointment or to just say they're done and you know not go down that road of trying to heal themselves from that.
2: Absolutely, so you're right. We do face a lot of resistance. Um, We have so far, I think, dealt with maybe about, I mean, I would say that probably about 10% of the cases drop out. It's not one. And the reason for that is, you know, we've had to get very creative. Because okay. we deal with stigma and resistance in clients and families on a daily basis. So um, we, I feel it's one of our strengths mm-hmm. where we're able to get people to get their guards down and actually focus on self-growth and self-awareness. Um, and I think the fact that we use more mindfulness and an existential approach mm-hmm. helps with that.
1: So. When you said you had to get creative, is there anything you can share as to how, generally speaking, how you've become creative to get around this?
2: Right. So very often, you know, family members would like to get um, maybe their son or their father or their mother or sometimes grandmom. So different relationships in for therapy Mm -hmm. um, or actually even an assessment. And so we would pose as the family member's friend, okay. start off with a non-threatening, casual conversation. And then the family member goes on to describe my profession. And then it would be, oh, okay, you know, I feel that such and such is an issue and maybe having a conversation specifically about this issue could help. And since you, and also focusing on the distress of the patient, Right. rather than the stress of the family member who's brought them in.
1: Right. It really helps. Well, that's that's a wonderful point, because that brings up establishing a relationship, which is also the basis of most of the work I do. Um, and I think that's just the foundation of um, effecting change, is if you can build a relationship with whoever it is you're trying to help, then they have the trust in you that you can do that. So um, I think... But that's great. That's great. So are there other um, issues that you come across that you had? Uh...
2: Yeah, there's, so there's two very specific issues. One is um, you know, adjustment issues in Bombay because a lot of people move from smaller cities to Bombay and then the culture is very different here. So such a big change in a life, um, in a life event can be very stressful, adjusting to the noise, the population, the competition, the pace of the city. Right. So that uh, has been, I think, quite a common feature. And the other one goes to um, a much deeper issue in India, which is that a lot of people have difficult family situations. Their everyday life is very difficult because of an undiagnosed psychiatric illness in a family member. So the older generation is who I'm talking about, you know, in the 50s, 60s, who had uh, psychological illnesses their whole life, but weren't diagnosed, and therefore the illness went untreated. Okay. So we tend to see actually their children very often.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So the, because the children are probably more open to speaking with somebody and do they recognize that it's due to the impact of the older generation on them or they just come of their own accord?
2: Right, so I think it's a mix of both but it's, I think it would say I, I would say that it's more of the latter where they come of their own accord and then through therapy, through the inside building process, we actually get them to recognize um, however they can't actually change the situation they can't they're not going to be able to. Most people can't get their family member into a therapy. Right. It's more about, um, you know, working on themselves, and um, and that's I think where the existential approach helps.
1: Right. Right. Well, and it's a it's a system. So, if they can change their piece of the system, they will have an impact. Maybe not as great as that in other individual coming in, but they will have an impact on their whole system. So that. That makes a lot of sense. So, go ahead.
2: So, so, I would say that these are the more common issues that we work with.
1: Okay. And in terms of, you know, it's, it's exciting to me to hear all of this because I've been watching um, India and just my relationship with people there, and the conversations have shifted and the openness has, has shifted. What do you see as. Um, the positives and the negatives, and as well as what India needs going forward?
2: So um, I think some of the positives of the country are that um, our social system is very closely um, knit and uh, we pay a lot of attention and um, emphasize social relationships and family relationships there's a lot of social support right. uh, You can get immediate family members as well as your cousins and your aunts involved in the care of chronic um, illnesses. That is something which is available to you. Mm-hmm. Very often it's quite easily available and that helps. Um, the conversation around mental health and mental illnesses, like I said, has picked up over the last few years and I think it's only getting stronger. People are learning a lot more about it. Um, in terms of the training in India, I think, um, you know, the kind of cases and the number of cases that you get to see during your training <laughs> is going to be unparalleled and um, I think so. That really um, would be some of, you know, the advantages uh, of India over okay. um, issues. <laughs> There's a lot of. Uh, um, I think I pointed out earlier that there is, um, unfortunately, no clarity about the difference between mental health and mental illness, right. and um, I view mental health as more preventive. And, of course, mental illness needs to be more curative. And um, right now, the stigma, the way that I look at it and the people that I work with, I see it dramatically reducing when we can differentiate the two. Immediately when you present it as just emotional well-being, something that everybody needs to practice and learn, um, people are more open to it. So whether it's healthy, aging, or whether it's just emotional hygiene, all of these things actually people are more open to. Um, You know, people still use terms like mad, retard, lazy. And it's it's very common for people to look at mental illness and feel scared and feel angry about it. And they feel it's a choice, actually. Even with... um, So it's not understood. It's looked at as a choice. And there's a lot of judgment around suicide. I mean, people say things like, oh, he didn't try hard enough and she just gave up and she's weak-minded. So the understanding of mental illness is not an illness, but a choice. And that needs to to shift. Um, And I think, I mean, you know, uh, the way that It could shift, is um, there needs to be a better rhetoric around just health. Health needs to incorporate mental as well as physical health. Right. I I think when that starts to happen, and when people look at the brain as a part of the rest of the body, because here the understanding is that the body is neck down, and those are the issues that you deal with. You know, that's more physical, it's more visible. There's a lot of mystifying the brain and psychological issues. And I think that's been a part of our history and our culture where um, it's given a very sort of abstract, metaphysical, scary understanding that people don't really get. So I I think that, um, you know, people... Um, Add this to the education and the school system. Uh, The same way that we're taught, you know, how to be um, more environmentally friendly. We're taught from the first grade level how to do that and what are the ways and how not to use plastic and how not to litter. The same way we were taught how to actually be more emotionally healthy and the importance of it. I think that would really help. Um, the training, going back to the training, you know, that's, that's a, so, I mean, that's a policy level change, of course, which is required. Um, So, psychiatrists, their training over here is only pharmacotherapy. It's not, there's no understanding of psychotherapy or the need of psychotherapy. So, they believe that all of the patients should only receive pharmacotherapy and maybe receive Right,
1: so Um, that's... That's a huge cultural shift that has to happen then.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. That's a big one. And, you know, for psychologists, actually the training is very poor. It's not uniform across the country. We don't have a central governing body that implements any certification process. So that means the kind of therapist that you're going to go to could be very different. The degree could be the same for two psychologists, but their skill set is going to
1: be very different. Wow. So, um, unfortunately we are running out of time and um, I just wanted to say how how impressed I am with everything that you're doing and just hearing about how things are improving and changing and opening up in India is very exciting. Um, And I want to thank you so much for joining me today and thank you to my listeners. I've been talking to Shraddha Shah about mental health services and treatment in India and discussing how it may be the same or different as we find what we have in the West. This is your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel on Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition. Feel free to email me at drv at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. Have a wonderful week. Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vedisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.